Hello, hello, this is Elizabeth Silverstein with Sustaining Craft back again after two years. And what a two years it has been. I decided to put a hold on the podcast in the summer of 2020 and reevaluate what I was doing with it and how best to move forward. I decided to focus on my dog training instead, going full-time as a certified dog trainer in July of 2020 and pursuing a theory I'd held for some years that writing was best served when supporting additional skills. My goal with Sustaining Craft from the very beginning was to figure out if I could be a professional writer in and of itself full-time, and I wanted to talk to people who would turn their craft or passion into their full-time career. I had pursued journalism, then marketing, then freelance writing, and I just couldn't figure out the special formula that didn't involve massive amounts of work for very little money. My theory was that writing, especially from a storytelling standpoint, was best served from within an organization. And I know there are writers who do it full-time, working for other people, and I've gotten clients over the years here and there, and I just didn't want to cold call or pitch endlessly to work my way into a livable salary. So I kept my writing for myself, and I pursued some other dreams and interests. And while some folks like to say people don't want to read anymore, I personally feel it's just in the same line of thinking as people don't want to work anymore. People don't want to read bad writing. People don't want to work for pennies. My writing and communication skills have been a credible asset to my dog training business. I figured out how to leverage stories in a way that built an amazing community. It's not just because I'm good at dog training. Much like writing, dog training is an, an incredibly challenging skill to learn, and I'm absolutely obsessed with it. And I'm good at it now, but it's also because I use storytelling and communication in a way that pulls people together. I use Telltale Dog, my dog training podcast, as a way to share the amazing stories of people I want to get to know better, including others in the dog world and my own clients. I use my writing to pull together a client magazine and fill it with the dogs I get to spend time with every week. And over the past two years, Sustaining Craft has continued in the background with downloads continuing to grow, even without new content because I think more and more people are looking for concrete ways to build their own dreams. So we're back. We're on Instagram and Facebook under Sustaining Craft. There's a whole new website under sustainingcraft.com. You can email me at hello at sustainingcraft.com. I'll be offering my writing on a limited scale to businesses that match my vision and values along with resources to help people write their own content. I'm working on my first ebook for October 1st and my first workshop for September 12th. And this week, this Saturday, there's a whole podcast event that I'm hosting with Ty King, the CEO of American Business Engine, a marketing company here in Little Rock, Arkansas. This event is free. You can attend both in person and virtually. There are 20 in-person spots left, so snag yours before we fill up. But you can also always do virtually if you're not in the area. It's taking place at 10 a.m. on Saturday, August 27th, and I'll include the link in the description of the podcast episode to sign up. Welcome back. Hi, welcome back to Sustaining Craft, the podcast all about those who make some or all their income from their art or craft. I'm your host, Elizabeth Silverstein, and we're back. Uh, the last episode was published way back in 2020, and 
then I really didn't know what to do with the podcast. And I really don't think anyone knew what to do. Now that it's two years later, I've decided to reconfigure and Sustaining Craft will focus on the stories of how artists sustain craft in their lives, whether or not they make a living doing so. In addition, I'll be paying each guest and I'll be sharing their information if you'd like to tip them for sharing their story as well. So there's some additional plans, as, but since I've been doing this on and off since like 2016, for six years, it's shown me that I need to be careful about over-promising, and that's going to be a part of our conversation today with my guest, Danielle Perot, a creative wellness coach, singer, and actor. Hi, Danielle. How are you? I am doing great. How about you, Elizabeth? I'm doing all right. <laughs> Just taking things one day at a time. Yep, for sure. And it's so hard being a creative because it can be hard to just enjoy life and be content with having a boring life sometimes. Is that, have you found that with yourself? Oh yeah. One, 1000%. 1, I've kind of battled against this, this kind of idealized life that I have in my mind and how it needs to be like so dramatic and exciting in order for me to feel fulfilled, even though I get so much joy out of so many small things in my life. So I have to remind myself, like, no, this is okay too, and and these small moments are uh, the things that most of life is made up of, and and they are just as beautiful as the big things. So yeah, I hear that. There's a lot of talk happening right now about routine and making sure that there's consistency in your life, which I think is really hard for creatives. I know it's hard for me, and I get a little bit of routine, and then I'm like, all right, time to destroy it by adding on a big mm -hmm. project. <laughs> <laughs> so that is yeah I think it's hard because like when you're creative you're you're kind of naturally a little bit dramatic because your brain it just works in this almost these grandiose ways so I know I struggle with consistency I struggle with routine I struggle with really holding on to those little bits each day and not trying to blow it up basically yeah absolutely so, and I know that's part of kind of what you do as a creative wellness coach too. And I want to get back to that, but we met about 17 years ago, which is absolutely insane. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And we were both students at Simpson University in Redding, California. And I know your original goal, and I'll share the article I wrote way back in 2017. So your original goal had been psychology and how did you switch from psychology into music? Yeah, that was that was a surprising switch for a lot of people in my life, myself included. I participated kind of peripherally in music. I was in choirs in high school and I was in the, the choir at, at Simpson as well. And I really loved it so much. And it was one of my favorite parts of my days going to choir rehearsal. But at the time I, I didn't think that I, I didn't think I was good enough to pursue it as like a career or, or, or in any bigger way than the limited participation that I did at the time. I, I didn't think I had a soloistic voice, even though I sang, I sang to myself all the time in my room, like growing up, I used to turn my music up really loud so that I could sing along without anybody hearing me. So I loved singing like all of these kind of solo songs, it was really fun for me, but I, I didn't think I was actually good enough to let anybody hear me, but, but I loved it. So I kind of just kept that a little bit under wraps while I was studying psychology because I also really enjoyed psychology. It wasn't until my senior year that I realized that 
I, I probably didn't want to be a psychologist. I felt a little bit out of my depth, particularly when I was doing my uh, an internship my last year. It was kind of overwhelming for me. And so I, I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. And I moved back home, initially planning to, to get prerequisites to go to nursing school, because I also really liked biology. I, I did well in my science classes while I was studying psychology and thought, oh, I think I'll, I'll be a nurse. I think that would be really cool. But it was difficult getting the credits that I needed um, in order to transfer. Uh, the classes were really impacted. They were often full before I even got a chance, before my registration date even came up. So I just started filling my schedule with classes that sounded interesting to me so that I could stay at full-time status. And I ended up taking a musical theater class, which kind of ended up changing everything. It was the first time that I sang in front of other people and I, and I got feedback about that. And the, the music teacher for that class pulled me aside at, on the last day and asked me if I'd ever considered studying music. And I, I thought she was nuts, <laughs> but I, um, I was like, I mean, I kind of thought about it, but that's, that's crazy. I'm not ever going to do that. Um, and, and eventually I did come around and I started studying, um, studying music then. So it kind of came out of feeling out of my depth in the first path that I had chosen. And, and then it grew out of just waiting for the next path to open up to me. Um, it was kind of an accident. But I'm really glad. I'm really glad for it now because it's it's been so, so enriching to my life, uh, immensely challenging, but it's it's really shaped the person that I am now. So, yeah, I'm really grateful. And you're saying some things that I know I, I put as a pressure on myself, too, and I'm sure a lot of other people do that. If you're not automatically right away good at something, then there's no way that you can pursue it either as a career or just to enjoy it. Is that something yeah. you noticed? Because she saw something raw in, in what you did, that there was a possibility there, and you were just dismissing yourself straight off the bat. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I had this idea that the people who who are professional singers were, I, I had them on this pedestal of what they what they're expected to do and be, and, and even probably where, where they started, I, I kind of assumed, and I think a lot of people assume this, that professional singers have just always been good singers. And like, you can get better, but you start with something that's already like, pretty, pretty great. And, um, and that's true for some people, some people just have a kind of a natural um, gifting in that direction. And, and with the voice, I mean, everybody, every voice is completely unique. Some people do start out with a really great raw voice to start but that's not true for everybody uh, it takes a lot of, of a lot of work a lot of time a lot of dedication to to kind of hone hone the craft and and turn it into the finished finished product i say in quotes because n nothing is ever really finished but into something that expresses what you want it to i guess i will put it that way I believe that anyone can sing really if they want to. I mean, there are plenty of even professional singers out there, especially in the pop world, where if you just listen to their, like they don't actually have great voices if you really, <laughs> if you really are listening for that. But 
the the songs that they write or, or just the way that they communicate the songs that they sing is so impactful and people love that i think that's really the the main point of singing is is to communicate that's kind of my focus most of the time of course especially since i'm a classical singer there's a lot of emphasis put on polish and and making it sound beautiful but and what's the point of it being beautiful if you're not saying something? So, yeah, I, I don't think that I, it's very common to believe that you need to have this amazing thing to start. But really, if you have something to say, then you're you already are half the way there. That's something I think a lot about because I'm a writer and then I'm also a certified dog trainer and people have this assumption like, oh, you've always been good with animals or, oh, you've always been good at writing. Like they'll see me now, which is four years into my dog training and 16 years into my professional writing career and be like, wow, that's so great. It's like, you don't see all that blood, sweat and tears and how hard Mm -hmm. I worked for this. I do it because I enjoy it, but I also do it so I can get better. And that's, I think the magic of it is we're all on this journey. If we're interested in creativity or we're naturally a creative, we can all do this. We just have to decide what we want to work for and maybe adjust that goal if we had to, which I know you've had to do with your singing career. Oh yeah, it's been, there've been quite a few ups and downs with all of that. And particularly health-wise, um, I, I ran into some health struggles during my studies. I was having a lot of sinus problems, which um, as, as a classical singer in particular, like so much of the training technically is learning how to use uh, the different resonating spaces in your body. And, and the sinuses are a major resonating space. And so those are blocked it cuts off some, it cuts off a lot of what you're trying to do. And so I I was having some major issues there and really had to grapple with what I was doing because the things that I was doing to try and improve my craft weren't working and, and I wasn't getting a whole lot of support, mostly because people just didn't know what to do, I think. I don't really blame them so much. We just didn't really know what to do. I didn't know what was wrong. And so I kind of just kept pushing forward, hoping that eventually it would clear up. I, I didn't want to quit. It it never really occurred to me to quit. I just expected at, that at some point I'm going to figure this out and and I will be able to use my voice again the way I want to and, and be able to communicate communicate and express the way I want to. And that went on for a few years, several years. Part of that time was during grad school, which looking back now, I I have to, I kind of have to give myself some credit that I even got into grad school in in the state that I was in. But that was difficult, uh, trying to figure out who I, who I was as an artist, as a singer, when I was not performing at my best the majority of the time. And it kind of plays into my philosophy now uh, that you don't necessarily, I was trying to pursue a career, but you don't necessarily need to be the best or you don't need to be totally consistent all the time and, and going out there making this huge name for yourself in order to to be a real artist in order to be 
a real creator. I was still doing it, even though I was frustrated a lot of the time. The fact that it didn't even occur to me to quit in, in the face of all that tells me that, yes, like I, I, was, I was made to do this. I, I was, there's something deeper going on here besides just having a huge career. It's, it's an essential part of who I am. So no matter what, I'm going to sing whether it becomes a big part of my career in the long run or not, I, I am always going to sing. Oh, yeah, some chills there. But that that's, I think, where you know you're on the right path because it's not really about the paycheck. It's not really about the recognition. It's about doing what your soul is hungry for. Yeah, yeah, it took me a long time to learn that. Yeah, when I first started out, I don't think I fully recognized that. I, I kind of was after not just the paycheck, but, but yeah, the recognition, I, I did get a lot of positive feedback early on in my studies. I, I started out when I was a little bit older. And so I naturally had a more mature voice than a lot of my peers when I was um, studying in my undergrad. And so I, yeah, I got a lot of attention. I got a lot of, a lot of encouragement very early on that maybe a lot of other uh, singers studying don't always get. So it was it was rather jarring when all of that kind of stopped when I when I stopped being as consistent and it I guess it was ultimately because of the fact that I sang for a deeper reason that I kept going even though I didn't know what that deeper reason was in the beginning I, I really did think I was going for the glory and the um, the excitement of an opera career but yeah I think you don't always know what why you're doing what you're doing in the beginning. You kind of have an impulse to do it, but it's not fully fleshed out and that's okay. It, it takes time to kind of figure all of that stuff out. Just continuing to practice and living life kind of puts things together for you. That can be frustrating, but I hope it's also encouraging that it, it does come together eventually. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I think when you do figure out what you're passionate about that puts you light years ahead of anybody else because there's there's often a lot of people who don't know what they want to do so having that aspect out of the way but I I do feel like it's really the journey itself and I think a lot of us because this is how our society is developed anyways we get so hyper focused on the destination like the career that one job you know instead of well what am I learning trying to find that job what am I learning doing this as a hobby do I want to continue doing it and trying to figure out how to listen to yourself, especially for people like us with kind of that heavy religious aspect where we're taught not to listen to ourselves, not to trust ourselves. We don't know what's good for us. There's a lot that you have to sort through there as well. Oh yeah, definitely. That has been a big part of it too. I I still struggle with that, knowing that I, I do know what I want, that I do do know what's good for me. And I second guess myself all the time, wondering if maybe my motives are wrong or like there's some kind of hidden thing in, in me that is steering me in the wrong direction. But, but I found that since I started trying to listen to my own inner wisdom more, it really, it, it hasn't really steered me wrong. And that's not to say that I'm always on that things always work out for me because of that and because life is still life the world is still the world it usually like the the decisions that i make based on my inner wisdom are the things that ultimately get me closer to 
the self that I want to be, or, or probably more accurately to say the, my true self. I don't think we really grow into a different person. I think we grow into the person that we've always been. And it's just a process of stripping away all of the external expectations and conditioning that uh, the world puts on us so that we can be our true selves. And when I listen to my inner wisdom, it always guides me closer to that, uh, regardless of the quote unquote success of it. It always guides me closer to to my true self. And I think that that's really the goal. That's that's the goal of creating as well is, is getting to that core. Yes, because if we keep listening to outside, just anybody who's on the outside of us who doesn't, like that was a big thing growing up. I felt like nobody understood my vision. And then as an adult, I realized that nobody is supposed to understand your vision because that's your, that's why it's your yeah. vision. It's not theirs. Like they don't, they don't, they can't see it and they're not going to understand it. But if I kept trying to adjust what was important to me based on whether or not they understood it, then I'm chipping away at who I am and what's important to me. And I'm never going to be okay or content in that because I'm just continuing to chip away at myself to try to help other people understand who I am. And if people are intent on not understanding who you are, there's nothing you can do to make them understand. And I had to get really comfortable with being okay with that, with being okay with people going, I don't get it, or I don't like her because that's not how I was conditioned to be as a child. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. It's, it's, it's hard to be misunderstood. Yeah, it feels like if you're misunderstood, you must be doing something wrong. Or or if you're misunderstood, what you're doing must not make sense. But yeah, just as, as you put it so well, it's not supposed to make sense to other people. And, and a lot of times it will make sense to people later as your vision clarifies and blossoms into what, what you know that it can be. But in the beginning, especially, yeah, it probably isn't going to make much sense to other people. Sometimes it doesn't even make sense to you. You just kind of have to keep pushing towards it. And actually, I don't, I don't like to say it that way, pushing. It shouldn't be this, this really forced, effortful thing, I don't think. You kind of just have to let it expand and, and let it solidify in your own understanding. That's something I've been grappling with a lot lately, is figuring out what what I'm here to do. I've had a lot of time to think about that. I Earlier this year, I got quite a bad case of COVID. I had some underlying health conditions that, that made it very severe. I was on medical leave from work for a long time, and I, I've had a lot of time to just rest and think and read and speculate. And there are a lot of a lot of changes, I think, that I have been making and I'm planning to make based on all of that, all of it leading, as I was saying before, to toward the person that I that I truly am and, and the work that I am truly meant to do. But it's still, I mean, it's only been a couple of months um, that I've been thinking about all of this. So a lot of times it's still very fuzzy to me, even after all this time, this extra time that I've had that not everybody gets, like not everybody gets a, like a month or however much um, off of work to just think about life. <laughs> but even with that, it's still fuzzy. And there are days when I'm like, what am I even doing? This doesn't, I don't, I don't get it. This or, or even this is too hard. This is never going to happen. This 
like people don't get to do this. This just isn't how the world works. But I, but I'm still, I'm still trying to continue to direct myself into those spaces and experiences, I guess, that I, that I want to have. Um, and I'm back to work now. And so now the challenge is making that work with the demands of the world. How do I keep moving toward my vision when I now have all these demands placed on me again? And they're very basic demands, like I, I need to make money so that I can support myself. It's not always this kind of insidious or malicious thing. They're just very basic human needs that need to be covered. I don't think we actually have to go about meeting those needs in such aggressive ways that the world <laughs> uh, tells us we need to with like hustle culture and like the grind. I'm not built for that. <laughs> I mean, some people, I think, um, have more of a propensity to that. They, they get energized by that. But I think even those people at some point, you can't do that forever. We weren't meant to live that way. I really am not built to do that. I I, I crave a slower life and a uh, kind of a more contemplative life, um, I guess more a more creative life, which is not not always rewarded in in our society financially or even or otherwise. just we people don't think that that's a legitimate way to spend time. Well, that's my favorite way to spend time. <laughs> so, uh, there's a lot of grappling with what that means and how, how I can incorporate that into my life while still doing what I need to do to survive. It's, it's difficult. And for people who aren't pursuing creativity as a, a career um, and they're doing it as a hobby, I think it's even harder. We think of all these creative pursuits, if you can't monetize it or if you're not choosing to monetize it, it's frivolous, it's extra, it's not worth doing or it's only worth doing if you have time after the legitimate uses of your time. So that's hard. It's been a long time since I've been, well, actually that's not true. I do creative things that are not for work. I do like, I like to paint, which I'm not very good at at all, but I enjoy it. I enjoy the process. It's hard to make time for that because it does, if, even though I do have a, a portion of my work that is creative, that I make money off of, I still have this perception of the other creative work I do that I don't make money off of as being less, less important. It's hard to combat that. I, I'm still working on it. Cause like what you should be washing dishes or you should be paying your bills or you should be, you know, anything but doing something that brings you joy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that if you spend time, more time doing things that bring you joy, it makes your your work time, your supposed product, more productive time, even more productive. I think. I think we do our we do our best work when we are creatively and emotionally fulfilled. I don't love the idea of doing art in order to make the so-called legitimate work better. I think art is worth doing for its own sake. But if that's where you have to start, I think that's fine. <laughs> Do you mind sharing? Do you have like a nine to five job? I do. Yeah. I work, uh, I'm a worship coordinator at a church currently, and that can get quite busy, especially around Christmas time and Easter. And so that work, along with other outside work, I have been a voice teacher as well, which I'm not doing 
currently as I'm, I'm still recovering. Like all of these other things, these day job things, they, it does make things difficult. It makes it hard to, it makes it hard to approach my, even my creative work very creatively, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Cause I do, I do still sing here and there, but when it's kind of just thrown into the mix of all these other things that I have to do, it kind of lessens the experience, which, which is really unfortunate because that's kind of the, the part that I really get excited about. But when I run into a, a rehearsal at the end of a long day, I'm not always ready to be creative. I'm just tired. I'm learning to find more spaces within my day to, to kind of release some of that kind of the frenetic energy of running around doing the day jobs and also just to let myself rest. Uh, that That's actually a big part of why I started the creative wellness bit of my coaching because I was recognizing this need to slow down and to to care for my physical body and my also my mental and emotional self so that I could actually be creative and, and enjoy the process. There's been so much change even in, in the, the creative wellness coaching aspect of what I do. That's that's probably going to be morphing into something <laughs> something different at some point. As I mentioned, I've had a lot of downtime recently to, to rethink and evaluate things. So currently, if you were to, to visit my Instagram, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense and it doesn't look like I'm selling anything. I'm kind of not at this moment. I'm kind of just learning and taking things in and and figuring out where to go next. And it seems like a lot of people are interested in in that journey, um, and so I'm I'm happy to share it. The coaching itself isn't really happening at the moment. I've known for a long time that coaching is something that I really want to do. Uh, it started out as something that could supplement my opera career, something that I can do remotely from anywhere in the world, and it's kind of grown into this more of more of a, a deeper calling, um, an extension of my creative work. And I really wanted it to support creative people because there's such a need for that. We we don't get a, a ton of encouragement. We don't get a ton of support in kind of these deeper, more emotional ways. It's something that I have desperately needed so many times. And, and so I would like to create, I, I would like to be that for, for other creative people. And uh, and I I will get there. I'm gonna figure I'm gonna figure out what's going on in my head at some point and um, how I can best be of service. But I just think it's so it's so needed. We in in the singing world especially. Um, I, I'm kind of honing in on the, this the singing part at the moment. Who knows where it'll go eventually? But there is so much trauma that occurs in the classical singer world. So much exploitation, so much disrespect. There are a lot of issues in the industry and and it does a lot of damage to singers in a lot of ways. And I think singers are especially susceptible to it because our voices are our instrument. Our, our bodies and our voices are, are the instrument. It's not an external thing. And, and the lines get blurred so easily and we start to think that our singing is our identity. And so if our singing is criticized, especially in very careless and cruel ways, 
it does a lot of damage to our identities and our 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 self-esteem and how how we view ourselves in the world i i've struggled with that quite a bit especially when i was having my my health struggles and and not singing well like some of the things that that people said were very very hurtful and things that i'm still unpacking and and dealing with and and trying to undo this this damage this trauma that has taken place but a lot of times we don't even realize that we are traumatized i think we just think yep that's the business i just need to have a thicker skin and i just think that's so wrong uh especially for creatives creatives are sensitive people (laughs) that that's the source of our creativity how can you express the human condition if you're not sensitive to it if you're not sensitive to your own condition so to tell creatives that they just need to have a thicker skin to make it through the industry i think is so counterproductive Mm -hmm. um why does the industry need to be set up in such a way that you need such a thick skin why why can't we why can't we just be kind? <laughs> Why does it need to be that way? I think you can you can be very constructive and give criticism without being cruel. Yeah, there are problems in, in the industry. I think in all the creative industries, probably, I don't think this is necessarily unique to, to the classical singing industry, but the singing industry is the one that I know. So I'd like to be of help there. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like there's a lot of pressure put on creatives because it is so valuable. And we saw that during the pandemic, the arts were what helped sustain people, the arts and and, uh, social justice causes, like things that were tangible, that were never tangible before suddenly became tangible that we could see and feel and and absorb. And then when something's tangible like that, it can be exploited even more. And then you fall into, I saw this a lot with like TikTok creators of that pressure to perform and be consistent and always have the same quality quality of work all the time. What I really appreciate about your creative wellness coaching, you know, whether you continue that or not, is that it was never salesy, even when you were selling and you were just so always kind and compassionate towards other creators, which really connected with me, even not being a singer. I was like, oh, like when you answered my question about consistency and being like, it's okay to not always be consistent. It's okay to rest. All that really helped me feel in a world where life coaching and business coaching feels so slimy and used car salesman yeah. <laughs> that your coaching is just like, yeah, I'm here to help you if you need it, but I'm not going to try to force you to feeling like you have to use me, which I really appreciated. Oh, thank you. That's, uh, I appreciate that. And that is something that I really value in, in, in my business. And, and I wasn't always taught that way. I, I've, been susceptible to uh, a lot of these other like sales tactics that are so popular in the coaching industry of trying to kind of exploit emotions, kind of poking at wounds to elicit a, a very specific negative emotional response so that the person feels they need you more. Yeah, that always did feel slimy. It, it's kind of diabolical, really. Um, it, it works. Oh, but I hate it. I, I I just can't work that way. And, and that might mean that my business grows a bit slower and that's okay. But I do just want to be a support to people if they need it. I do want to emphasize that I want to be a support. I'm not there to fix people. I think one of the problems with the emotional manipulation in order to get clients 
is that you are basically trying to create this idea in a person's mind that they need you and nothing is going to get better for them without you. And that takes so much power away from the person, so much agency, and you're creating this codependent relationship that is so unhealthy and is not sustainable beyond the time that they work with you. If you're working with someone based on the idea that they can't do things for themselves or they can't heal for themselves, that's it's inaccurate. I think we have such a great capacity to heal. It's very helpful to have guidance. Sometimes we need to be pointed in the right direction. Yeah, anybody who wants to work with me, like I'm sure they could they could accomplish the same thing in a lot of other ways. I would like to help expedite the process. I would like to help focus the process. I never want anyone to feel like they can't cope without me. I actually think that that is one of the reasons why I uh, didn't think I wanted to be a psychologist when I first was studying. I had a perception in my mind that therapy was, that that's what therapy was, that as a therapist, it would be my job to fix people's problems. And that felt so daunting and overwhelming to me. So under that, under those conditions, yeah, I was probably right <laughs> to say that I don't think I can handle this, but I don't think that's what it's meant to do, therapy or coaching. It's it's meant to be a su supporting and guiding a person to their own truth, to their own resources that they already have. Yeah, I, I, I've I, never been a fan of the manipulation. Um, I always want to start from a place of empowerment, not just complete distress. Is that That's just not helpful. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I wanted to restart Sustaining Craft is because I want to build it out to help people understand I don't have a blueprint. I don't have a journey. I don't have a map. What I do have is my stories and other people's stories and helping you see that you can create your own story out of that. Because if I hand someone a blueprint of what worked for me, first off, it doesn't mean it's going to work for them. Second mm -hmm. off, if they follow that blueprint exactly, then what they have created is a testimony for my blueprint, not their own journey. And mm -hmm. do you just want to follow someone else's path and hope it works? because that's what they're telling you it's going to happen? Or do you want to figure it out for yourself and be so confident in that journey that you've created for yourself? And I think those are two completely different things. And it's okay to make your own mistakes. I think sometimes we get so stuck on, oh, I don't want to make the mistakes or other people have made the mistakes. Let me just learn from them. Why are we so afraid of making mistakes? Why right. is it so horrible <laughs> to fail and try again? Yeah. Why? Why can't we just fail and be like, oh, well, that didn't work. Let me try again. Yeah, exactly. I, mistakes are some of our best teachers. And and the lessons that we learn from mistakes really stick in, in a very visceral way. Uh, like, yeah, I guess it's nice to learn from, it is nice to learn from other people's mistakes. And, and maybe we don't have to make all of our own mistakes if there, is, if there are other guides and things to help us. But I think it's unrealistic to expect that we should avoid all the mistakes and and only be successful ever and always have the answers and, and that's one of the things that i've appreciated about your writing is how how honest it is and how how not didactic it is uh, you're sharing your experience but it's not in a prescriptive way that that means to um, tell anybody else how, how they should be perceiving something or, or experiencing something. It's just, 
I think, yeah, the word honest is, is just the, the clearest word I can think of it. And it's so appreciated. There's so much writing out there that is, it's good writing, but there's always a, a catch. There's always like a lesson, um, something like that. This is what you should take away from my writing today. And there's a place for that. But, but I also really appreciate writing that's like, this is what I took away from what I experienced, make of it what you will. Um, because that's, that's how life is. I think we're very stuck in these kind of dichotomies and, and we do want answers. We, we want to know how we're supposed to think, how we're supposed to behave because it's easier and we're tired. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't want to really have to think too hard about it, but I think we need, I think we need to give ourselves the space and honor our own autonomy to be able to make decisions and come to conclusions about things and just to be our own people. Thank you so much for saying those kind words. And if I, if I had to pinpoint how I learned that lesson, honestly, it was through grief of losing my sister and mm -hmm. um, people trying to tell me how I should feel or how I should process it and me trying to numb it first. I tried to numb it a few different ways. And then I tried, you know, I, I tried to kind of hear what they were saying, but none of it made sense in my grief. So ultimately I just had to strip it all away and just be like, when my body is ready, I can move forward. And until my body is ready, I cannot. And I think that's really the core of your work and what you've experienced too, is we can't push that healing process, whether it's grief of any kind, whether it's an illness, whether it's your brain just telling you, I can't right now, we really have to honor our bodies and what they're telling us and what that means to us for us to be able to move forward. That's why I hate the toxic positivity movement of like, I can try, but in grief, in pain, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter how you think I should feel. I'm going to feel the way I feel when I'm ready. I'll move forward. And if that makes you uncomfortable, then maybe you have some healing of your own to do. Mm, yeah, definitely. You mentioned the body, like when my body is ready, I'll be able to move forward. And, and that's kind of a big theme of, of what I'm kind of learning now and just trying to absorb is this idea of the role that the body plays in our lives and and trying to live in a more embodied way because our bodies really you you can't trick your body you can try and use the toxic positivity to trick your mind into thinking more positively but your body doesn't like it, it knows like there's that book like the body keeps the score which which I've read a little bit of, but it's in it's a wonderful book. Um, I can't remember the author's name right now, but uh, but it's a lot. I have I have to read it in small pieces. Yeah, like your body stores all of that. Your body knows what you're actually feeling, and it and it responds. It, it it's going to it's going to come out in some way. I can suppress emotions all I want because those emotions are inconvenient or upsetting to other people but but then i go to get a massage and find out that my my back is just like this mass <laughs> of tension your body holds on to all of that and it could end up coming out at some point in some form of illness or chronic pain or um, anything like that i've got i've had plenty of experience with that but it, it, yeah it's it's always going to come out at some point and so I think a big part of wellness, not just creative wellness, but any like just wellness in general is 
cultivating that honesty about where you are and how you feel at any given moment because I mean you you can't hide from yourself forever <laughs> you, you really can't you can't push yourself through on any other any other person's timeline because I've told people I've told people before too like when you're ready like you'll be able to move forward and then people have said well like well but yeah but you can't stay in the in the valley forever and it's like no one's saying that but again mm-hmm. you're jumping ahead so you have to sit in it for as long as you need to, but that doesn't mean you're wallowing either, which I think people have a misconception about. No one's saying wallow forever in your pain, but no one decides when you're ready except for honoring your body. And when you can learn to honor your body in that, then you you start to recognize like, oh, now I need to push myself here because I can see that I'm ready. Uh, I just get so tired of other people and they're they're like, well, you just got no, stop, stop. It's okay. I know. That's such a great point. Yeah. The, you can't wallow. I think a lot of times by, by telling myself, I can't wallow, you, you often end up prolonging your grieving process because you're not honoring it. You're not honoring that pain. Exactly. And, and grief is not a linear process you may grieve very acutely for a certain amount of time and you'll still end up having periods of of that acute grief again a year later two years like humans are so complex uh emotions the mind all of it is so complex and and to try and compartmentalize it and and put it in this prescriptive box of this is how you need to process things and this is how it should be like you go from step a to b it it does it really doesn't work that way that's not realistic and so yeah we really do need to honor our bodies and our our own unique processes and just kind of let things be what they are emotions are meant to be felt they can seem very scary but they're emotions are neutral there there are no positive or negative emotions they just kind of are we can create these more difficult situations for ourselves because of all these extra meanings that we heap onto emotions no just just let them be feel it let it they're meant to kind of just move through you and they may move through you multiple times but if you don't allow the process to happen at all you get stuck in this kind of nervous system dysregulation and it it's it's just not productive anger in particular is one of those emotions that people are really afraid of because it it can be destructive sometimes but anger it's not inherently destructive anger is actually a sign that a value a, a deeply held value of yours has been compromised or has been challenged anger can actually be a great catalyst for healing and justice if we allow it to complete its process but we often just cut it off too soon and that's when it becomes explosive and destructive we just need to let our bodies process our emotions as they come up and we'll be so much better for it well danielle i've taken up about an hour of your time and i appreciate you spending this with me and having this wonderful conversation i feel like we can talk for hours so i'll have to have you too back for sure. But where can people find you if they want to hear more of your work or they want to follow along as you figure things out? I'm most active on Instagram. And so you can follow me there at danielle.perot.creative. Perot is spelled P-E-R-R-A-U-L-T. I also have a website, danielleperot.com. 
And yeah, those are the two main places that, that you can find me. And I'm going to pay you for your time today. I really appreciate it. And I don't take it for granted. And if anyone listening would like to tip you for sharing your story, what's your Venmo cash app? Oh, yeah. I really appreciate that. Thank you. My Venmo is, as I'm looking it up here, um, it is at Danielle-Perot-Creative. So pretty much the same as my Instagram, except dashes instead of, instead of periods. Perfect. And I will include that in the description box as well. And then when I share your story, so all that will be in there. And then before we uh, do the sign off, is there anything else you'd like to add? I don't think so. I, I agree that this has been a wonderful discussion. I, I always love talking with you and, and yeah, we could talk for hours. <laughs> I think we have before. Yes, yes, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, but this was wonderful. Thank you so much for inviting me to, to speak with you today. Absolutely. Thanks for doing this again, uh, five years later. What advice do you have for a creative who's struggling with consistency? I would say to kind of evaluate uh, why it is that you are wanting to be consistent. There is the practical need if you're a, a career creative that like you have deadlines to meet. That makes complete sense. But at the same time, the kind of the challenge of, of being a creative worker is balancing the demands of the world with the realities that creativity is nonlinear and and it exists outside of time. So I would say, how can you find time in your day to let your mind wander? I think a lot of times when we're struggling with consistency um, in our work, it's because we are feeling kind of blocked or uninspired. Um, a lot of the time. And so I would say, try to find ways that you can cultivate unstructured time for your mind to wander, to make connections within your day. One thing that I really like to do is go for walks and I and not listen to a podcast or an audiobook or music or anything while I'm doing it, which is something that I used to do all the time. And I think a lot of people do. But what if you like just took the earbuds out and you just walked and just let your mind wander and, and make connections. And, and what if you maybe took a nap today? <laughs> Our brains make so many connections while we're sleeping. I think the more that you can fit moments like that in your day, the more inspired you're going to find yourself feeling and the less of an issue consistency is going to be for you because you you will just regularly have ideas flowing and 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 feel able to meet those deadlines as as frustrating as they may be but yeah i think it's kind of counterintuitive to think i need to combat inconsistency with more downtime and less work. But the downtime is, for, for creative work especially, there is work happening in the downtime. That's when we have our ideas. That's when we make those connections. And so none of that time is wasted, it is essential for the work that you do. And so, so give yourself that time and, and enjoy that time. <laughs>